Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. I don't do the slide very often, but there was something we've just, I've dealt with um, or mentioned, I know, briefly in one of the previous messages on the, the term, the last days. And there's some confusion about that, I think. Um, and I believe as we come into the sixth seal tonight, we are introduced to the second bookend to what the Bible would refer to as the last days and the days just prior to that great day. So we have the last days, but the last days lead into the day of the Lord. But I'd encourage you at some point in time, if you want a good Bible study, get you a concordance and look up the phrase, the day of the Lord, study it through the Old Testament into the New Testament. Uh, the Bible says the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And every time the day of the Lord is mentioned, it is referring to wrath and judgment. It is not referring to the first day of the week. That's the Lord's day, uh, but the day of the Lord. And so uh, as we come into this sixth seal, uh, I want to go back and we'll show some things. So all I want to do is we're going to put up one, one slide here that kind of shows these two texts of Scripture and the two parts of a prophecy in Joel as marking what I believe the Bible refers to as the last days. We would also see these as bookends, if you would, uh, on what we would call the age of grace. Although as we leave uh, Revelation 3 and come into Revelation 4, the church age or the age of grace is ended. Uh, there's a time that the Bible says God has extended His grace to the entire world, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe if you study your Bible, the last days began after the resurrection of Christ and His ascension to heaven. And it was marked, the beginning of the last days was marked by the pouring out of the Holy Ghost. And the end of the last days will be marked by the pouring out of God's wrath. And you'll see that. And, and so um, how many of us understand that there's not yet been a time in human history where the sun was darkened and the moon turned to blood and the stars falling from heaven and the heavens rent? That's never happened. And this is why this is important. There are those that teach all those prophecies have already been fulfilled. The only way you can do that is to say those texts are figurative. So one of the things I want to do tonight in this sixth seal is, is read enough passages of Scripture that deal with what's going to take place during this sixth seal and then even in a more complete way before the book of Revelation is done. As we come into the seventh vial being poured out, there's a correlation between the sixth seal and the seventh vial. There's another earthquake. And uh, you're going to see uh, all those things fulfilled. And those things have not been fulfilled yet. And the, the text cannot be figurative in language. They are literal, and you'll see that. And so tonight we're coming into the third point in Revelation 6. We introduced this a few weeks ago and we started I believe there in the end of January the 26th and so we looked first of all at the four horsemen verses 1 through 4 excuse me verses 1 through 8 uh, the four horsemen the first four seals are in verses 1 through 8 and then we looked at the faithful host last week seal number 5 and saw those souls uh, under the altar and spoke of their cry and the clothing the white robes the garments are given and their consolation Tonight, we're going to deal with verses 12 through 17, the fury 
of heaven. And again, I just wanted to do one, the one slide because I think if you see it on here, it just, in my mind, it helps to visualize it and, uh, and see as we describe what seems to me to be bookends to the, the last days leading right up to that great day of the Lord, the Bible calls it, which will be the, we'll, we'll see that described in great detail as we go through the rest of the book of Revelation. So let's go ahead and begin reading in uh, Revelation 6. If you would, why don't you stand with me, please, and then we'll, uh, we'll get right in. Prayer has been offered up, so for time's sake, we'll pray at the conclusion, but we'll just get right into the message after we read the text. Beginning verse 1, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts say, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld a little black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, A measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death. And hell followed with him, and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost, not, uh, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Thank you. You may be seated. Verse 17, I think, is interesting. If you just read chapter 6, you might think all of that described that five out of six of these seals, they're introducing some very desperate things on earth. There's famine, there's war. Um, there is destruction and discord, and there's, there's um, all these things taking place. Death is prevailing more than ever before. But then the Bible says this is all simply the introduction to the wrath, the day of God's wrath. It's, it's an introduction. Uh, we find that. We, we mentioned that last week. When the souls under the altar speak, they say, How long till you avenge us? 
meaning the famine and the war and the death prevailing were not the wrath of God. They were simply, as we spoke last week, God removing his hand of protection as a, as a prelude to what was coming. In fact, when the Lord Jesus will speak of the sun being darkened, the moon turning the blood, and the stars falling from the heaven, he said, after the days of, these, of this tribulation, so there's going to be some tribulation already taking place, but after that tribulation, this is what's going to happen in the heavens, and that is the great, if you would, it's the prelude to the day, the great day of the Lord. And that day of the Lord, again, it's prophetically mentioned throughout the, the Old Testament. It's mentioned many times in the minor prophets. Zechariah deals with it. Other of the prophets speak of the day of the Lord as being a day of darkness and not of light. And so this is the day. of It's, it's God's vengeance and judgment on sinful man who've rejected his son as their Savior. This is not a time period you want to be here for. You don't want to be against God anytime, but especially when the Lord says, you know what, one of the signals is that the age of grace, of God's, God still will have grace. How many of us understand, under the law, God had grace. But the age of grace is God opening up grace to all men and being long-suffering to us, we're giving men ample opportunity to repent. This signals that period is done. God is now going to begin to move in his wrath and pour his wrath out on those who've rejected his son. And so then, as we look at this sixth seal, I've entitled it the fury of heaven because now we're going to start moving away from the natural consequences of sin to have a natural event that has supernatural outcomes. We have an earthquake, but this is not any earthquake. The Bible says that every island and every mountain will be moved out of their places. I remember some years ago when the, uh, there was an earthquake and a tsunami that hit Japan, tremendous destruction. Then we had a tsunami that hit Indonesia, coupled with earthquakes, and recently we've heard of some major earthquakes. But we've never had an earthquake, to my knowledge, that is shaken and moved. We do know earthquakes and tsunamis move islands. They, geographically, they shift them, right? Uh, we can, we, there's measurements. We know that. But the Bible says every island and every mountain is going to be moved out of their places. Uh, to my knowledge, the earth will have not known an earthquake like this, yet by the time we come to the end of the book of Revelation, you'll find that there's going to be yet a greater earthquake than this one. Chapter 16, verse 8. Uh, by the way, if you just want, if you're like me, I'm a little bit geeky in my Bible. I guess I like little tidbits and notes. And so earthquakes are mentioned throughout the Bible, number one. They're mentioned throughout the Bible. I, my mind goes back to uh, uh, the day, in the days of Isaiah when he was king, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. There was a great earthquake then. In the year that Isaiah died, and there was an earthquake, and the Bible references that on a couple of occasions. Uh, there was an earthquake on the day of the Lord Jesus' crucifixion. There was an earthquake the morning he raised from the dead, uh, but not an earthquake like this. This is an earthquake that is causing the entire earth and heavens to tremble. It's as though God is taking the universe and going, oh, shaking the whole thing, because the heavens are going to rend, and the earth is going to shake, and so this is more than just the, the, the plates shifting in planet earth. This is God shaking the heaven and the earth. And so uh, God getting the attention, letting people know I'm about to move in a manner I haven't moved before. And so I will consider a few things about this. Again, if you like to take notes, in the book of Revelation, uh, earthquakes are mentioned here in chapter 6, verse 12. An earthquake is mentioned again in chapter 8, verse 5. Chapter 11, verse 13. Chapter 11, verse 19. 
in chapter 16, verse 18. Uh, obviously, um, God is shaking, literally, in his wrath, shaking the earth. And so let's, let's break this down, this sixth seal, into three parts tonight. First of all, we've entitled the point, The Fury of Heaven. So our sub-point, the first one is The Fury of God. This sixth seal opens with this earthquake. And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, uh, uh, sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now, here we're going to take a little bit of class time. Uh, here, there is figurative language used. How many of us understand what similes and metaphors are? Okay, this here, it's simile, okay, because it is the, the sun is going to become as black, black as. doesn't call the sun black sackcloth. It's going to become black as sackcloth, all right, and the moon is going to become as blood. And so what we're going to understand is the moon's going to turn red and the sun's going to turn black, uh, some sort of an eclipse as we would know it, but not like we know it. And so uh, what I want to do is go back and let me finish reading what else takes place. The Bible says this, And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. How many enjoy seeing a shooting star? I do. I think it's neat. How many think it would terrify you if you started seeing all the stars start falling out of heaven? It'd be a little scary to see, and that's what's going to take place. So let's go back into the Old Testament and this, find this, this prophecy in Joel. Now, the prophecy is given in two parts. It talks about the pouring out of God's Spirit, and then it talks about the sun and the moon uh, that's fulfilled here in Revelation. And so Joel chapter 2 is where we find this first prophesied. Joel chapter 2, and what I'm going to do is go ahead and move this over. I don't know if you're going to be able to read that or not, but we're going to have these as our bookends, okay? As we read these prophecies, we're dividing the prophecy in Joel in two parts, and we'll see it repeated in two parts in the book of Acts as well. And so really what you have is the fulfillment of the first part of Joel 2, 28 through 31 in Acts chapter 2. You don't get the second part of this prophecy fulfilled until Revelation chapter 6. So we want to put these bookends together here. Joel uh, chapter uh, 2, forgive me, I'm in Job. That's not the same as Joel. Last time I checked, it looks the same if you're a sight reader. Joel, I'll get there in just a minute. I didn't have it marked. Give me just a moment. I apologize. Almost. I've made it to Amos. Okay, Joel chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance as the Lord hath said and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now go with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Uh, on our way over, let's stop over in Matthew 24, and then we'll go to Acts chapter 22, or Acts, Acts chapter 2. Matthew 24, verses 29 and 30. The Lord has been telling us, he's been asked, we're not going to try to our, spell out Matthew 24. A lot of people get hung up in Matthew 24 uh, because it's not interpreted in the context of Scripture. The Lord Jesus was speaking to multiple groups in Matthew 24, and he was answering multiple questions. That is a key to this chapter. 
But so he's already been asked when will be the time. Uh, he said one stone will not be left upon another on the temple. And he's asked him, uh, what is the sign of his coming? When should these things be? All these things. As he's been answering these questions, okay, it says in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation uh, of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be, shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, we don't really find that until Revelation 19. So he's kind of compacting the book of Revelation. Some things are going to take place here in a few verses. But he's referencing again the stars falling from heaven, the moon and the sun uh, being darkened and being his blood and so forth. So we saw that in Joel. Now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I just want us to see this is a clearly articulated prophecy about what's coming in the day of the Lord. And these events of the sun and the moon and the stars immediately before the great day of the Lord. So before God really begins to, we know we're going to go directly from the seals into the trumpets and the trumpets into the vials. So the seals are opening up. The seventh seal is really the opening up of the wrath of God on earth. And so the, the sun and the moon being black and, and as blood and the stars falling from heaven are the sign that are going to come to say, here comes the wrath of of God. Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching on Pentecost. The, he and the other apostles were accused of being drunk and the people that had been filled with the Holy Spirit and were speaking in, in tongues, meaning unknown languages to them, but understood by their hearers. And so the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, um, beginning, let's go back to verse, um, verse 15. Uh, the Bible says, verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said to them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit and they shall prophesy. All of that was being fulfilled even as he spoke. Uh, the, the maidens are prophesying. They're declaring the wonderful works of God in unknown tongues. But then he goes on to say, verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and in signs and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun should be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, here's what's interesting. Follow me to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Same penman, same preacher. So in Acts chapter 2, Luke has recorded the words of Peter on the day of Pentecost. He says, when the Holy Spirit of God was poured out and people were filled with the Spirit and they saw over them, uh, as it were, cloven tongues of fire and they were able to speak and unknown tongues and speak forth the wonderful works of God where people could understood. But then he, Peter gives the whole prophecy. He gives the whole prophecy, not only that the Spirit of God would be poured out, but there would be signs in the heavens. Yet, 2 Peter chapter 3, some years later, after Pentecost, after the churches have been established, after people have been getting saved, Peter's going to let us know this still. The second part of Joel's prophecy is still unfulfilled. The first part fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, but the signs in heaven was not fulfilled in the book of Acts. It was not fulfilled in the first century at all. And so here he is in 2 Peter chapter 3. 
writing late in his life to Christians who are persecuted and scattered abroad. And he says in verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What promise do you think he's referring to? Remember what Paul had to remind the Thessalonians of in 2 Thessalonians? You who are troubled, you rest with us because the Lord's going to come and he's going to take vengeance on those who are persecuting you. How many know 2 Peter was written to persecuted Christians? They had to be reminded there is still a promise of the signs in the heaven of, before the wrath of God comes. And Peter, is, he is he's cognizant of the idea that all of Joel 2 wasn't yet fulfilled. Yes, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, but not the signs in heaven. The day of the Lord had not yet come at the writing of 2 Peter Chapter 3, he says, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. We know that's still future. As a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holiness, holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, some of that's described, I believe, later on in the book of Revelation. It's all part of God's judgment on the earth. And what Peter is, is telling us, the first part of Joel has been fulfilled, the pouring out of the Spirit. But that second part that signifies the coming of the day of the Lord has not. And again, I'm going to tell you why this is important. I, I was discussing with someone at one point in time, someone who believed that these things in Matthew 24, that everything there had already been fulfilled in that generation. That Jesus And they used that verse to speak it up, of it. My question was, and we were having a cordial conversation, well, what about the stars falling from heaven, the moon and the sun, the sun being dark and the moon becoming his blood? And the answer that was given through someone who writes on the subject was, well, that is referring to, that's referring to the nation of Israel. Just like Joseph dreamed and his parents were the sun and the moon, his brethren were the stars. And so the fall of Israel in A.D. 70 is what that's talking about. The sun being dark and the moon turning to blood. Ask something. If you read your Bible, and I'm not being sarcastic toward anybody, but if you read your Bible, are, the, are any of these texts written in a way to lead us to believe that this is figurative speech? Or is God telling us the sun's going to be darkened, it's going to be as black as sackcloth, and the moon as blood, and the stars are going to fall from heaven, and the elements at some point are going to melt with fervent heat. This is not metaphor or figurative speech. It's not talking about the fall of the nation of Israel. This is talking about the wrath of God. And here's what I want us to see. As you go from Joel 2 and see the prophecy in Matthew 24, we can see it lining up, and then you go to Acts 2. And what I find intriguing is Peter says, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, this is what Joel was talking about. And the first half of that promise was fulfilled. We don't see the second half of that fulfilled until the sixth seal is open. And what we can be sure of tonight is none of the seals have been opened on this earth yet. There have been famines here and there. We can all agree to that. But none like we read about in Revelation chapter 6. There has been warfare on earth. I would, I would tell you, 20th century uh, uh, America, tw the 20th century world saw a tremendous amount of war, right? But not like it's talked about in Revelation chapter 6. We've seen death. The bubonic plague was terrible. But we would know death would prevail in segments of the earth. God has been merciful enough to give men wisdom to know how to fight back against disease and to curb that. And hold back, we've had death spread, but nothing like his prophesied in Revelation 6. May I say this? I believe part of what Satan is doing even now, uh, through, through how he's working through modern-day so-called science, 
is to prepare men to give credit to man for his own destruction rather than to God for pouring out his wrath. I think that's part of what's going on. Of course, men will be angry at God and will curse God, but the fact of the matter is, I believe the Lord already today is, is handing forth some judgment to get people's attention, and yet we would rather say that it's just man, that we are the cause of our problems and we're the solution to all of our problems instead of looking to the Lord. And so what I want us to see is this, how this plays out right here. If these are two bookends, this is Acts chapter 2. This is Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal that is open. And we're living in the time frame between those two fulfilled prophecies. All right? Which, praise God, we are. We're, it's what Peter's talking about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We're in a period of time where the Lord is long-suffering, withholding His judgment, holding back His wrath. And so then we see very clearly the fury of God in Revelation 6 when that sixth seal is open. This earthquake is beyond natural consequences but brings about supernatural consequences. I hope that uh, that explanation is, is helpful. I think it's wonderful to see the continuity of Scripture and how you see Old Testament Scripture carried all the way forward. Here's what I love. The prophecy in Joel, prophesied by Joel, referred to by Luke in talking about Peter's preaching, printed about uh, by Matthew and uh, when the Lord Jesus referred to it, spoken of by the Apostle John here, written about by Peter. See how many different men wrote about this, some of them having never met one another. Amen? And yet God, we can see very clearly in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word should be established. You can be sure this sealed judgment will come on earth one day. And so we find the fury of God. The Bible says, and let's go back to verse 12. I want to point out a couple of other things <clears throat> before we conclude tonight. Verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became blood, uh, black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. <coughs> Excuse me. And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Now, why does God choose uh, to articulate the way he does in chapter 15? That the rich, the poor, leadership, men that are princes, men that are paupers, everyone, bondmen and free, are going to go hide from what's taking place. We see the fury of God. Now we see the fleeing of men, verse 16. And he said, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Instead of fleeing for mercy, they're fleeing, trying to hide from God's wrath. My question is, I think we need to note this. Why, again, does the Holy Spirit lay this out like he does in verse 15? Any thinkers on this? Why? What's God pouring out now? We'll see it in verse 17. This is wrath. Is God's wrath based on anything other than his own righteous judgment? There it is. There it is. The emphasis in verse 15 is God is no respecter of persons. This hasn't to do with whether you're rich or poor, free. How many of us know rich, poor, free, bond, Jew, Gentile, black, white, male, female can be born again. But if you reject Jesus Christ... God's not going to say, oh, well, you rejected my son, but you're poor, so I'm going to give you a pass. Well, you rejected my son, but you're a very important man. 
you are the president of the United States. You get a pass. Uh, no. No respect for persons. God is just in his judgment all the way through. He's been long-suffering. Every class of people mentioned in verse 15 have had an opportunity to be pardoned by God for their sins. Every one of these classes of people. And so the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. But may I say this, it's the condemnation to everyone that believeth not. It is the same thing that will save you. It's the same thing that will condemn you. You'll be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but we are condemned by unbelief and rejection of him. What a sad state to want to, de to desire death more than life. At this point, they say we would rather the mountains fall on us than have to deal with God. Now, there's a couple things noted there. There are some people that will say something like this. My life is so miserable that I'm getting, you know, basically, I'm not using this in a, in a foul way, but they, they believe hell is on earth, that that's what I'm receiving on earth. No, 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 no. Now, look at, look at what these men say. Before and rather than seeing the face of the Lamb and His wrath, I would rather be destroyed by a mountain falling on me. It makes me think of the Lord Jesus talking about for those who offend a little one that trust in him, it were better than a millstone were hanged around their neck and they cast into the sea. Meaning what you're going to deal with with God, if you offend a little one that trusts in Christ, you would, you would be better off, better off to have a millstone hang around your neck and cast in the sea than to have to deal with what you're going to have to on judgment day if you offend a little one that trusts in him. That's serious business. It's interesting to me, the last book of the Bible God could have had an opportunity to soft pedal and, and say, you know, I'm just, I am just in love with people so much. I am so in love with people that I will basically overlook anything. That is the God that's being preached by our culture, including by people who claim to be evangelicals. And they may be evangelicals, but they're not biblicists. <laughs> and my point is this, that's not who God is. God is still just. And if we... For how should we escape if we neglect so great salvation? These are people that neglected the salvation of Christ and God has finally said, enough, it's enough. And so the fleeing of men, the kind of men that flee tells us of the justice and judgment of God and the way they flee tells us of the severity of his wrath. The Bible talks about, oh, the goodness and the severity of God. What, do those two words go together? Absolutely. May I ask this, is God a God of grace or a God of truth? Yes. Some, some think that grace and truth are in fight with each other, that, you know, that they are opponents, that they are in conflict. May I say grace without truth is not grace, and truth without grace is not truth. They have to work in tandem. They must. That's because God is full of grace and truth. Amen? And what we find here is God has been extending grace, but the truth is men are still wicked and sinful, and he will not tolerate sin. And so then we read in verse 17 of the finality of his judgment. The Bible says, this is what happened. This earthquake and the moon turned to blood, you see this throughout. It is the sign that says the day of the Lord is here. It has come. It's on us. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? As much as we are living in a dispensation or a period of God's grace... God extending kindness to humanity that we do not deserve. How many you know this morning the sun rose on China just like it rose on the United States? How many you know that the sun showed up in North Korea just like it showed up in Belize? 
I mean, you know, it rains in North Korea, and God does good things for North Koreans, including that wretched man that leads their nation. Why? Because God's gracious. Why did God allow us to have the opportunity to be saved? Because he's gracious. And as much as we, 2 Corinthians 6 is about articulating the time frame we live in. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. What he's talking about is this period in which we live, if you're hearing the gospel and you can get saved, now is the time because this is the dispensation of the grace of God. God extending long-suffering and patience and withholding his wrath that men might be saved. You know what? That's why he tells us, redeeming the time because the days are evil. As much as this is the dispensation of the grace of God, the opening of the seal says we have entered the dispensation of the wrath of God. The final dispensation on this earth is the dispensation of the wrath of God. I should say there'll be a kingdom established following that. But the fact of the matter is, it is the wrath of God poured out, purging the earth. And so, uh, may I say this, tonight, just because we're living under his grace, his undeserved, unmerited kindness and favor. And by the way, not only are saved people the recipients of that grace, we are especially recipients of his grace because our sins are pardoned. We don't fear the wrath of God tonight. These verses don't terrify me. We've been saved from wrath through him. We'll read those verses in just a moment. But the fact of the matter is, the person who's not personally, has not believed God about Jesus Christ yet, I'm just not yet convinced of this whole thing that Jesus is the only way. That person should fear and tremble because this is what's coming. And so then, let me read you a few verses on the wrath of God. They are all New Testament verses. They're not Old Testament verses. And because this is the great day of his wrath. Go with me, if you would, very quickly to uh, Romans chapter 1. We'll, we'll conclude in John 3 on these verses on wrath. We're almost done. Romans chapter 1. Romans 1 is all about the degradation of a society and a culture. You read Romans 1, you can, you can read it and say that's the Roman Empire. You can read it and say, that's the United States of America. You can watch the, the downward spiral of morality in a culture, and you can see that very clearly articulated as you read history, including the history of our own nation at this point. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the Bible says this. Let's, just back, let's back up just a little bit. Verse 16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against what? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. I'm watching more and more people, I think it's the right way to put this, more and more people in our society get a more hostile attitude toward the God of the Bible and toward the Lord Jesus Christ because that's who the God of the Bible is. And I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it. As I interact with people, there are people that are more brazen about the fact they know what the Bible says about God's way of salvation. They know what Bible Christianity is and they absolutely hate it and everything it stands for. You know what? The wrath of God is all they have to look forward to. The wrath they don't believe in, but it's going to come. For us tonight... If we put our faith in Christ, this is what we've been saved from because all of our ungodliness and unrighteousness is pardoned through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? And so as much as we ought to fear and tremble for the unbeliever, we can rest in that blessed assurance that we have by faith in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6 gets a little more specific about the wrath of God and why it is revealed from heaven. 
which is what is talked about here in Revelation 6, 17. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, really the Holy Spirit through the hand, the, the pen of Paul, is making a clear distinction between the holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean, between the righteous and the unrighteous, the godly and the ungodly, and how that is reflected or revealed in our lives. And so he says this in verse 2 of Ephesians 5, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Those verses are pretty plain, are they not? There are those today, so I'm a Christian. Now, I fit the description of all those things written right there. That's the way I'm living, but I'm a Christian. You better step back and think again. If you are a Christian, you're living that way, you are under the chastisement of God because God will never let his children keep living that way. Amen? He'll either get you straight or bring you home, but you're not going to live that way as his child. There are people that have lived as adulterers, drunkards, and fornicators for 30 years and say, but I'm saved. Now, I understand they don't answer to me, but my Bible still reads the same. That's what the wrath of God comes on people over. Amen? And we could reference, say, well, what about Lot? I'll say this, Lot lived amongst that, and Lot had sin in his life before he died, but that was not his lifestyle. We understand that. He was vexed with that day by day, with their filthy conversation. And so my point is this, uh, that these things stir the wrath of God, and God's wrath is revealed from heaven over the wickedness of men, and especially what we find in Ephesians 5 is what, what saved us from living that way when we were born again, when Jesus Christ rescued us from our sin, when we saw only he can save me, and when he does, he gives you a new heart, he gives you a new nature, uh, he, he changes your desires. When you step out of line, when you start living your way, he'll correct you and speak to you. But the point is, these things are what bring the wrath of God on men. Now, John chapter 3, if you would. And ultimately, the wrath of God stays on us unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ. It's these unclean things, these filthy, sinful things that stirs the wrath of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when trusted, shields us from the wrath of God. But when rejected, the wrath of God abides on us. Hebrew, or John chapter 3. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. There are some today that are confused. And they'll say, the wrath of God's not on you because of what you've done. It's only on you because you've not believed on the Lord Jesus. Well, the last part of the statement is true. It is on you because you haven't believed on the Lord Jesus. But why is God's wrath initially on you? Because of what you've done. God's wrath is on you because you've lied. God's wrath is on fornicators. God's wrath is on adulterers, liars, disobedient to parents. That's one of the things Romans 1 talks about. And that does incur the wrath of God. That's why the wrath of God is on every man until he puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And upon that, the righteousness of Christ is given to me 
My sins are put on him and I no longer have to fear the wrath of God. I've been saved from wrath through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear. By our sin, the wrath of God is incurred upon us. But by faith in Christ, we are saved from it. By rejection of Christ, it doesn't say uh, that the wrath comes on them because they have not believed, but it abides on him that believes not on Christ. Now, finally, a couple more texts and we are done. First Thessalonians chapter 1. This is to the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of the reasons, one of the points we would make why we do not believe that the born-again people, uh, saved people who have been uh, saved prior to the tribulation are going through any part of it. The tribulation period on earth is characterized. It is the, it, how many of us understand this? The Christian will suffer tribulation in his life. How many you know there's a difference between man-made tribulation and God-caused tribulation? Okay, the tribulation we read of in Matthew 24 and the tribulation we read of in Revelation is caused by who? God or man? God. Now, man will be partaker in that and help facilitate it, but it is, it is God pouring his wrath on earth on man. You and I, if we're born again, if we're trusting Christ, need not fear the wrath of God. Look here at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 10 talks about the believer in Christ and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now if we're here on earth experiencing this earthquake that the Bible clearly defines as the wrath of God 1 Thessalonians 1.10 isn't very true for the believer then is it? We've been saved from wrath to come. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are people who hold different views and say, well, I believe Christians are going through part of the tribulation, but it's pre-wrath, and they get into all these things. But as far as I can see in the Word of God, the tribulation is about the wrath of God and uh, and. We're not going to be here for that because we've been saved from wrath through him. Amen. That's the one thing you can be sure of. Say, what if, what if we're wrong, preacher, and you are going through the tribulation? You're still not going to experience the wrath of God, even if that were true. If I'm as confused as a termite in a yo-yo and think we're getting raptured before the tribulation happens because I'm bullheaded and won't learn anything, by the way, I, don't, I can be bullheaded, but I still believe the Lord's taking us out of here before then. Amen. But what if somebody says, what if you're wrong? I can affirmatively say without flinching, no Christian will experience the wrath of God. You know why? Because he said we are saved from wrath through him. And, I, and we're going to hold to that, amen? Not only the wrath of hell, but the wrath that's going to be poured out on earth. So what is key tonight is to know you've trusted Christ Jesus to make you righteous, to know you've put your faith in his shed blood, to know you've put your faith in him as a living person. We don't just believe an idea. We don't just believe a concept. We put our faith in a living person, and he guarantees our salvation. And tonight, we can sing the song we sang, Blessed Assurance. Why? Because of 1 Thessalonians 1.10 and 5.9, we're saved from wrath through him. Amen? And, but what, what should be the effect? Was, I was talking to you the other day, another, another, another preacher. I've heard two preachers say it recently. They said the whole key to prophecy and why we should look at things to come is to stir us to live today the way we're supposed to live today. Our knowledge of what's coming, number one, Second Peter says, ought to, and ought to stir us to not live for earthly things. Use earthly things, but don't live for them. It's all going to burn. And it ought to stir us to live for souls. You know what? If we can live a godly life in Christ Jesus, God can use us 
to persuade men to put their faith in him. And then they don't have to know his wrath. How many of you want to see your loved ones go through the wrath of God? How many want to be conscious that that's what's going to happen? Not I. Not if we can do something to make a difference about it. I would surely not want someone to trip over me and reject the gospel because I, I love something here on this earth too much to live the way I ought to for Christ and for the sake of souls. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll go ahead and pray and be this. Man.